Hello, everyone. I am back with another episode of Winning at Fibromyalgia. And I have a very exciting episode for you because I have a guest, Dr. Alexandra Stockwell, who is a marriage and intimacy coach and who will be talking to us all about pain as it relates to or as it's pertinent for relationships and marriages. Uh, Dr. Alexandra Stockwell has finished medical school at Stony Brook University and then finished her residence, family medicine residency at University of Massachusetts Medical School. Hello, Alexandra. I would like to welcome you to my podcast. Thank you so very much for coming. I'm very excited about what you're going to discuss with us and share with us. I would like you to introduce yourself to my audience who may not have heard about you yet. We have mostly focused on management of pain or talking about fibromyalgia and I have not had any guests. So you are my first guest. (laughs) I feel so honored. This is so special. It reminds me like nervousness before a first kiss and then we want to get over it and feel very comfortable. But once we are over and comfortable and married for 15, 20, 40 years, oh, to only feel that special feeling of the nervousness of a first kiss. So I think this is a moment you'll enjoy looking back to once you're a pro. And thank you so much for welcoming me. As you said, I am a physician and I'm a relationship and intimacy coach. And one of the things that I want to say that qualifies me for this conversation is that my husband, he and I met the first week of medical school. He is a pain management doctor. He's chief of our local region. And so he gives many educational presentations about fibromyalgia, both to patients and to doctors. And so when I knew that we were going to be having this wonderful conversation, I said to him, you know, I'd like to just chat with you and get your ideas because I have so much to say about intimacy and pleasure and communication and relationships. And I'd love to just talk a little bit about how this might specifically apply for someone with fibromyalgia, to which he said, all right, let's meet at this time. And he gave me a PowerPoint presentation, which he gives to doctors. So. He wanted to make sure that I am fully qualified and indeed I am. And then he showed me just like the summary slide for the talks he gives to patients. So I'm really, really, really excited for this conversation because there's so many things that I've been teaching a long time and they serve people in all kinds of circumstances and the new deep understanding of fibromyalgia that I have has really revealed to me how these tools that I teach are especially relevant for anyone with fibromyalgia who is living with someone else and in a relationship. Thank you so much for that. And also thank you for engaging your husband. It's almost like we're going to have two people sharing their knowledge instead of just one. So two. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> and we may end up inviting him to our podcast too. But anyways, so where would you like to start? I have some, you know, I wrote down a couple of questions that I did want to address, but did you have an idea how, from my perspective, patients with fibromyalgia deal with a lot of fatigue and kind of not having enough energy for their spouses or for their children when they come 
home from work in the evening and just in general, would you like to, would you be able to tackle that question too? Or where would you like to start? Yeah, I would. And I guess I want to start with one statistic that I hadn't known until my husband gave me the PowerPoint presentation, which really, it touched me. I had previously thought that fibromyalgia tended to be a diagnosis found in women with privilege to some degree anyway. Mm, mm -hmm. But the statistic that really touched me is he said 8% of the population worldwide has fibromyalgia. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Well, depending on which definition you use, he said two to 8%. But the point is that fibromyalgia is not an upper middle class disease. It touches people in all kinds of socioeconomic and cultural circumstances all over the world. And that really touched me. I guess if you ask me why, I would say because it impacts the quality of life so profoundly. And I'm not sure exactly why it touched me, but it really did. And it has me even more motivated for this conversation. So In terms of your question about energy, my understanding is that actually the other thing from his presentation is that non-medical treatments have been shown to be far more effective than medications and procedures. And at the root of the non-medical treatments is the management of stress because when we feel stressed, we have these various hormones in our body. And those hormones are the ones that amplify the pain and affect the central nervous system. And so you are the fibromyalgia expert. I'm not, I don't have the disease and I'm not an expert, but the reason that I've shared this much physiology is because everything else I want to focus on has to do with managing the stress. But when I'm talking about managing the stress, it's not some like, pie in the sky. Oh, you need more self-care. And I don't know, like everyone's busy. So how can I change that? I don't know. There's a way in which stress is such a common catch-all phrase in the general population that it has lost its meaning. And so I've said everything that I've said in order to really emphasize that what I'm talking about is scientific, it's medical, it's physiological, and it really deserves your attention. If you have or know someone with fibromyalgia, the very most important thing to do is to figure out how to minimize stress. And I'm sure you have all kinds of things to say about changes (laughs) to make internally and changes to make in the environment. But the reason that I've said all of that is that one of the most stressful things in the life of a woman, if she's in a relationship or if she was in a relationship, is that relationship. (laughs) And so talking about communication and how to create intimacy and all of the topics that I focus on, I see as extremely essential for anyone with fibromyalgia who's not a hermit. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you for that. And I can absolutely attest to that. And we talk about managing stress a lot as means of, or as a way of um, reducing pain. I talk to patients about mindfulness. We do do something called somatic tracking. And we talk a lot about um, emotional awareness and expression therapy. That's one of the psychotherapy or uh, non-medication treatments. And I can completely attest to also what you are saying about stress. I have patients, uh, I have mostly women who are my patients with fibromyalgia. I have, I think, two men right now. And I remember one in particular who came recently and he was, she was stressed out because her husband is not very supportive. So we address that, but hundred percent, absolutely. Almost every woman I have relationship, or I would say 98% relationship is extremely high on the list of source of sources of stress. So, and which exacerbates the pain directly. Yes, exactly. So Let's dive in to what to do about it, having established that usually I'm talking about the reasons to improve communication and have better relationships is so that you're happier and so that you model something different from your children for your children. And Mm -hmm. all of that is true. But in the case of someone with fibromyalgia, this is also a way to lower your pain. So give me some examples of um, what do you tell to your clients who are dealing with relationship stress, if, if, whether it relates specifically to fibromyalgia or chronic pain, or if it doesn't. Well, let me set the background for my answer because the most common relationship advice, which is given really throughout the world is that if you want a great marriage, you need to learn to compromise. And If you want things to last, really compromise is the way to achieve that. And the fact is that if you want a neutral, bland companionship, compromise is helpful. But most people who are kind of in that kind of relationship, it's what I describe as conflict-free and passion-free. And if you want a dynamic, passionate, wonderful, dynamic relationship, then it is essential to be uncompromising. And by uncompromising, I do not mean, it's not the opposite of compromise in the sense that you always get your way and you get to be a bully and dominate. No, it's the opposite of compromise in the sense that when you compromise, you hold back your own experience and your own preferences so that your partner is more comfortable. And in uncompromising intimacy, you don't hold them back. If your family is headed to an Italian restaurant and what you want is Chinese, you can say that. And everyone might still go to the Italian restaurant, but you're not withholding what's happening inside you Mm -hmm. so that the people around you can be more comfortable. And for the general population, the reason to cultivate the skills to be uncompromising in relationship is to have more passion, to have more connection, to have more depth, more vulnerability, like all the juiciness. But for someone with fibromyalgia, it's essential to learn how to be uncompromising because when you compromise and you hold yourself back, and resentment builds, all of this creates stress. Mm -hmm. So 
it can look harder at first to speak up more. But I'm about to say some ways of doing that with the intention of actually diminishing the stress in your body. I'm very Any questions curious. before I continue. <laughs> I'm very curious. And then I will, I would like, I would going to ask you about one specific thing that my patients report to me as being frustrated with their frustrating with their partners or husbands, but I was going to let you go ahead and give me the, the tools or the way. Okay. Well, I'm going to describe two tools. Okay. The first one is curiosity. And so it's so great that you said you're very curious and you're really an example of what I'm about to talk about because so often when we're in relationship, well, at the beginning of the relationship, the experience of being in love, that is filled with curiosity. Where is that scar from? And oh, what was your teacher's name? And what did you like to take for lunch when you were in sixth grade? And Where do you want to live in the future? Like we are just filled with curiosity. It is part of the experience of being in love. And then it is very lovely. We get comfortable. We get safe. If someone asks our partner a question, we know how they're going to answer it. And that safety and companionship is lovely, but it isn't lovely to sacrifice the curiosity. Mm. So it's predictable. It's predictable. It's predictable, but it's also not honest because human beings are always growing and evolving. Even if their diagnoses stay the same, there are new experiences, new reflections, new insights, new challenges, new conversations. And in fact, I had this experience with my husband just two weeks ago where I told him something that is my experience frequently. And we've been together since 1993. I'd never said it to him. He never knew it. It was something that was really interesting to him. It just had never come up before. And so for him to, he doesn't, but if he were to presume that he knows me inside out already, so what's the point of asking questions? That would just create disconnection for us. And have that feeling of the conflict-free, passion-free relationship. So it really depends on the relationship, what kind of questions you might ask. This works if you ask whimsical questions, if you ask serious questions, spiritual questions, theoretical questions. Mm -hmm. So a few examples, I think it's kind of fun to start with something easy and just ask your partner right after you hear this conversation. If you could have dinner with any celebrity alive or dead, who would it be and what would you ask them? Mm, Okay. Or what was the most challenging part of your day today? I mean, how could anybody know that unless you work together in the same room? From there, you can progress to other kinds of questions, but just being curious and the thing I have to emphasize is that when you ask, don't ask a question unless you're actually interested in what the answer is. Uh And then (laughs) listen generously because the place where this leads to stress is a lack of interest, as I've already described. And the other way in which this leads to stress is if you ask your partner questions 
and then you critique the answers. The important thing is to listen generously. And even if you're a no to what the person answers, you can be a yes to the fact that they're sharing who they are with you. Mm -hmm. I've been amazed when I've given lectures and talked about the importance of curiosity and then people will go home and have a conversation. I'm thinking right now of actually a nurse with fibromyalgia who'd been married for 28 years who heard me talk. She went home and asked her husband some questions and messaged me the next day. She was just astounded at how much more connection they felt with one another just from a very simple conversation Mm. where it's not to handle logistics. It's not to change anyone's behavior. It's not to agree on anything. It's just to be curious and interested about who the other person is. And it's lovely if they ask you the questions as well, but if they don't, go ahead and give your answers as though they have. So I I don't want to interrupt your flow. And I know you said there were two things you were going to say, but I do have a, I do have kind of a follow-up question. It kind of falls into what I was going to ask you initially. Is it okay to ask now? Yes, yes, of course. So, so what I, you know, I, I see a couple of patients from my practice right now in my mind who, like, if I were to tell them, they would be looking at me because there is a lot of resentment on their end. One in particular, she is in a relationship where she has two sons. One is already uh, grown and out of the house. The younger is still home. And she has a husband who is uh, somewhat, he's not disabled, but he is ill in terms of he does need some care. But at the same time, he can walk, he can still take care of himself, but he does need some help with things. And he doesn't help her with anything. And her younger son, he's a teenager. Neither of them help her. And she's she feels like she's left to care for both of them. I think they have a dog too. And basically, she's the only one cooking. And I had a conversation with her about how she needs to have a conversation with both of them stating, I need your participation. So if I imagine having, you know, telling her, be curious about like, I don't feel it would land well. So what would you tell me? What would you advise me (laughs) in terms of, and what would you tell her if, if I can ask you that? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I'm so glad you asked. So I would direct her to the second thing I'm going to say, which I haven't said yet. And the other thing that I would direct her to based on what you've said is that she has to deal with her resentment. There's nothing that the husband or the son are ever going to do, which will remove the resentment. Let's just say some miracle, the son wakes up in the morning and says, mom, how can I help you? And is whenever he's home, he, he has his eye to what she needs. And he says, oh, you know, I've been watching YouTube and I'd like to cook dinner for you. You know, I'll just tell you when it's ready. And if I have any questions, I'll ask. Let's just say she would faint. Okay. She would love that. She'd still have resentment because why didn't he do that before? Mm, Okay. It's so great, but what about all this? Like, that's just an example. I'm not saying that's specifically what she would say, but what I am trying to say is that once you have resentment, the only person who can get rid of that is you. And you can feel like, 
well, if these people change in this way or that way, then I won't be resentful. And it is true. It will take the sting out, but you will still have the resentment and resentment is a source of stress in the sense that we were talking earlier right. in terms of emotional sources of stress. Because it activates sympathetic nervous system and so on and so on. So I will let you say the thing number two, and I'm going to return to resentment, or maybe I won't have any more follow-up questions. <laughs> okay. So I like to start with curiosity because that's neutral, that's benign, it rebuilds rapport, and it brings more just more energy into the relationship when things have felt kind of static and familiar and consistent in those ways. Once that has happened, or as in the case of your patient, you just go straight to it. The next thing, which is so important, is to learn how to make a vulnerable communication. And let me stick with this woman as the example, because she has a lot of options. She probably doesn't feel like she has options, but for the purpose of this conversation, she has a lot of options. She can say nothing and feel resentful. She can go on strike and also say nothing and just not cook either, or just cook for herself and see what happens. I mean, I'm not saying that she would do this, but the point is she has a lot of different options which are not helpful. She can start yelling at her husband and her son. She can be passive aggressive. Like there are all these ways which don't actually fix the situation, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And so right. else who's listening, we all have our favorite flavors of, you know, <laughs> clanking around the dishes and making all this noise when no one's helping clean up or, you know, taking care of everything and being completely unavailable for sex. Because if you can't help me make dinner, then how can you expect me to find the energy for that? Like it it all happens in so many ways. So in this situation, there are three steps. The first step is to ask your partner, or in this case, you could do it with the son also, but ask them if they're available for a conversation. In other words, when you want to say something important, don't just start saying it and don't be so vague and indirect to see if they're interested. Be very clean, very clear. I have something really important to discuss with you. Are you available for a conversation? Mm. And either the answer is yes, or it's no, or if it's someone you're living with, then hopefully that no really is a not yet. Right. And so if someone says no, then don't just withdraw and have your feelings hurt and get stressed. If someone says no, then as calmly as possible, it's like, okay, well, when would be a good time? But the point is that she shouldn't be having this conversation unless her husband or her husband and her son, depending on how she wants to do it, both say yes to participating in the conversation. Because if we have complicated conversations with someone who never even wanted to be in the conversation, it already restricts the success of that communication. Yeah, this is so interesting. I'm so glad you're ta- you're talking about this because I may have given her bad advice. I basically, it's a very subtle difference. What you point out is that ask them, are you available for? Car-? I just told her you need to tell them that you need to talk that they need to talk to you or they need to spend some time with you talking about what you need. I basically presented it as, as she needs to let them know what her needs are. I did not even consider whether they are available for conversation. And it's a very important, it's a very important factor, in my opinion, to 
imply that it is relevant to her that they want to be in a conversation. So I appreciate you mentioning yes, that. Yes, but you're right. She does need to talk with them about it. This is just how to do so. Exactly. And this is the subtle thing that I obviously need pointers with. So okay, thank you well, for that. <laughs> so let's go to step two. Yeah. Step two. So step one is getting opt-in. Step two is why it is that you want to have this conversation. And that is something when you're having a casual conversation, then it's really not such an issue. But with this, with your patient, she really needs to think about it carefully ahead of time. Like this is the thing to prepare why she wants to tell. Now, if she's talking to you, her doctor or a girlfriend complaining, it's like, well, I want to talk with them. So they change. That's not the way this conversation goes. It's not a vulnerable communication. It could be something like she wants to talk with them because she really loves them and wants to find a way that works for all three of them to be able to eat well. Or I'd have to think for a minute what it might be. The example that I usually give is if my husband said he'd do the dishes and he hasn't. And in that situation, what I would say to him is that the reason that I want to speak with him is because actually, well, that if I don't tell him, then I'm going to feel disconnected. So I don't know how much the connection is the priority for this couple. So she's going to have to think about why it is that she wants to tell, but her doctor said she should. That's not a good enough reason. It has to be something deeper underneath. Like, Well, what I told her, well, the reason was that you need to have your needs met. You're meeting all of their needs as it comes to clothing, feeding, and you know, doing things for them. And your needs, she basically doesn't have time for herself because she's taking care of their needs. So my, the way I present it is you need to let them know what you need from them in order to feel listened to and heard and appreciated. And Okay. So in this situation, then what I would say is she could say something like, the reason I want to speak with you is to make sure that you, her husband, you, her son, and I have everything we need. In other words, a vulnerable communication like what I'm talking about, it's going to consider everybody. Mm, Okay. Okay. Well, that's a really important difference that I have not considered because from my end, as I was, you know, advising her, she seemed to have had the shorter end of the stick. So, right. But the thing about the shorter end of the stick, is that we feel unseen, unimportant, rejected, unloved, some variation. And that is really the motivating thing when you're only considering the emotional aspects, when you need to attend to this because of a medical context, then that is in addition. Mm-hmm. In other words, so she might say, Yeah, I think I would go with the reason I want to speak with you is I want to make sure that all three of us get our needs met and can work together one way or another. 
And then the third part is the purpose, like what I hope to achieve in the conversation. And that needs to be something that the other person or people in the conversation also want. Because in other words, so the first thing is opt-in. The second thing is why Mm -hmm. you want to have the conversation. And the third is what you hope to achieve by having the conversation. And that definitely has to be something that the other people want too. And that way, if the conversation is challenging or confusing or goes on too long, it's a completely different thing to know, oh, the purpose is is this, whatever it is, and we all care about this. Because otherwise, if she just says, even if she gets opt-in, if she just proceeds to say, my needs aren't met and this isn't working for me, the natural response for him is to either shut down or get defensive, feel attacked and attack back, like anything that isn't actually going to accomplish the goal here. So it's very important to say why you want to have the conversation and what your desired outcome is and make that desired outcome appealing for everybody in the conversation. Thank you so much for talking about this and bringing it up because I obviously have, you know, gaps in how I approach things. And and I have been told that before, including one of my best friends, she said to me that you have, you're making the right point, but how you're making it like is not always welcome by the recipient. And I think you are making exactly what I have not, what I have failed to tell my patient, but now I will, you know, know for my future patients that the delivery matters. Like she wants to achieve something and clearly she does not feel appreciated, heard, listened to. And she, she's not because they're not doing their part, but how she delivers it makes all the difference. So thank you so much for talking about that. It really, you know, it really kind of opened up my eyes to the fact that I have to work on my communication. Yeah. So thank you for that. I really appreciate that. I love that you say that. It's so humble. It's so honest. And I just want you to know that what I've shared with a little bit of input from other people I've learned from, it's my work. There's no Mm -hmm. way that you would have known this technique. It's it's not that you missed that class in school or you missed (laughs) that class in home. I don't know what. Like This is what I have come to through facilitating so many conversations with couples that these are the essential elements that everyone opts in. That's the first point that everyone wants the outcome and the purpose of the conversation. That's the third point. And then the second point being that you need to be clear why you're having the conversation. And the reason is that the purpose of the conversation is not to vent It's not to express your anger and frustration. That might be part of it, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is, in this case, to have everyone's needs met. In another conversation, the purpose might be, as I said earlier, to share what's living in my heart so that we can be more connected and have more fun together. Mm -hmm. 
I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was very helpful. I do have one follow-up question, but I wasn't sure whether you had some other things. That no, you go ahead. To go ahead. I mean, That's I have it. more questions, but for the sake of this podcast, I would like to ask you follow up on one men- one comment you made. And that's when I presented the situation with my patient, with that particular patient, that it was that she felt resentment. And you said that she needs to deal with the resentment. Would you be willing to tackle that? I know it's not a simple five seconds. I absolutely would. These, These are one of the things that was so interesting to me as I prepared to speak with you is that these are universal challenges, which are particularly exacerbated in the context of fibromyalgia. So Resentment is a universal phenomenon, and there are many ways to clear it. There are physical ways like exercise, swimming, yoga. These are ways that help clear resentment. There are emotional ways, which I'm going to say more about in a moment. There are mental ways like meditation or things that change your thoughts. The Byron Mm -hmm. Katie work is very good for that. There are a lot of different things that change your thoughts. And then spiritually, prayer, that is a way to shed resentment. However, even though all of the things that I've listed so far are very helpful and often easier for one person or another to start with, the things that most transform resentment are the emotional modalities or what I'm calling emotional modalities. Uh And if I make this very concise, the main thing is to write it out. So either journaling every day, doesn't have to be every day, but the point is journaling regularly. Another way of doing this is to write letters. So in the case of your patient, If she were my client, and this is what I was focusing on with her, I would have her write a letter to her husband and maybe her son too every day and then rip it up. The point is not to actually give it to them, but to have a context to express without censoring. It's a really incredible phenomenon, Martina, where I have said to someone, you know, who's been resentful about something for 20 years, okay write a letter and say it. And they can't give themselves permission to actually say all those terrible things. But in fact, saying them, and by saying them, I mean writing them down in a letter that's never going to be sent, it helps clear it out. And sometimes someone can write a letter and it's really profound. And sometimes it takes doing it five times, 10 times. Mm, okay. This is such an ongoing issue. Just like your patient probably brushes her teeth once or twice a day. Mm-hmm. She should write a letter to her husband that she never gives him, never shows him, never leaves anywhere where he's going to see it. It's not, he does not have to receive this letter for it to be effective in clearing her resentment. And Well, I actually do have a follow-up question. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm not trying to give you a hard time, I promise. As I'm thinking about, like, I completely understand where you're getting with this because I believe in journaling and I do it myself. And I also know uh, Byron Katie's work. But as far as that, like writing that letter for that particular patient, as I'm thinking about her, 
it would mean so much more if if her feelings were validated by her husband if he agreed that yes that this is going on actually no i'm going to have fun disagreeing okay but, okay but my disagreement <laughs> my disagreement is both and okay in other words yeah that would be incredible if he validated her feelings it absolutely would and their future would be rosier and her days would be more supported. No question about that. But that will not clear the resentment. That is something she has to do for herself. Mm, okay. I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. In other sense. words, yeah. So in their situation, they've had this dynamic for a long time. And the most likely scenario is that all her life, she's felt like, she needs to do things for other people and she can't depend on other people helping her. I mean, she's not here. We don't know that, but that's likely to be a very familiar situation that is just much worse now with her fibromyalgia. And the way to get her power back, to shed the resentment and really transform her worthiness around being supported that's not something that his behavior can create. It can support it or work against it, but it doesn't fundamentally create it for her. Okay. So I have another follow-up. Yes, yes, go ahead. Basically, it has to. So, when I was taking the course, the pain reprocessing course recently, a couple of months ago, uh, we talked a lot about this emotional awareness and expression therapy and how clients become aware of their feelings, emotions, how as they they express anger either in the letter or in imaginary form as if the person was there. And what came up was, and what may come up for my patient is that she may realize that the relationship is truly not supportive, like, or does not fulfill her need for having a supportive partner. Or she may really recognize this as being that he doesn't respect her enough. Have you encountered that in your practice when, as your clients explore different levels of communication and they are more aware and they practice all these techniques that they find out that they don't want to stay in a relationship? Yes, of course. And it's one of the reasons that people resist personal growth because they are concerned they're going to outgrow their partner and outgrow their relationship and they don't want to do that. So that is a very real consideration. and. In my experience, those stubborn, selfish men are capable of so much more, not when we tell them to do something, but when we grow, we shed the resentment, we are empowered, and we interact in another way, then we, it's like we change the dynamic. It's like we move into a different house, emotionally speaking. And our partners start interacting differently. I actually, I have a podcast, the Intimate Marriage Podcast, and I did a podcast on when you're into personal growth and your partner isn't, which is essentially what we're talking about because Mm -hmm. shedding resentment is a move towards more personal growth. And I shared, I mean, I could have shared lots of different stories, but I shared the story of a client of mine who she's been with her boyfriend, I think, I might not have the details quite straight, but the the basic idea is correct. 
she was with him for 18 months when we started working together and he never called her. He would respond to her texts while he was working with very brief responses. And Mm. basically she's the one who always planned any dates they did. I mean, he's a good man. I'm, I'm just pointing out right, right. these aspects, but it was very challenging for her. And so she felt unimportant, taken for granted and not honored in the way she wanted to be. And my coaching with her, it was only with her. He didn't participate. She didn't actually tell him she was having the coaching, but my coaching with her was about her learning to love herself, her learning to honor herself, her learning to feel more worthy. And the most amazing thing happened because it was really only after about three sessions where instead of her having her attention on what he wasn't doing, she put her attention on how she wanted to feel. And if she wanted to plan a date for them, great, but it wasn't out of responsibility. It was because she wanted to. And if she didn't want to, she didn't. And One of them was in New York and one of them was in Chicago. And he texted her and said he'd like to talk. And they had like an hour, hour and a half video chat, whereas they'd never really talked on the phone for longer than 10 minutes. And when she went back to New York a few days later, he had planned this whole activity with ice skating and different things. And she just was floored because he knew nothing. He didn't even know that this had become important enough for her to invest in coaching with me. She told him nothing. And I did not teach her how to manipulate him, how to convince him, how to inspire him, how to seduce him. None of that. I taught her how to have a different relationship with herself. And then this man is showing up in new ways. Now, that's that is incredible. Like that the end the of the fairy tale, but it happens that way. And so yeah. for your patient, it takes incredible courage and faith and willingness to write letters and think about the internal dialogue. And rather than like, if she's going to be cooking and doing all the tasks anyway, because that's how things are, rather than to be focused on how unhelpful he is to maybe play some music she enjoys while she's cooking dinner so that it can, even though it's tiring, it can be as pleasant as possible. Mm -hmm. Like she would need to know maybe she uses a prettier China. So (laughs) even though she's the one cooking and setting the table, at least it brings her more pleasure. Mm -hmm. And if she does that and she's writing letters and shedding resentment and getting more clarity, yeah, maybe she outgrows him and that's it. But maybe he accesses a whole other way of doing things that never occurred to him because they were locked in the dynamic they were in. No, and I I appreciate everything you said basically about your client. She took responsibility for how she felt and how she approached herself. And I I love that. And I, you know, it gives me a lot of food for thought and how I need to think about my situation. In case of my patient, I have to say, I think there does, there did need to be changes to be done, like in terms of physical things, because she truly yes, was, yes, 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 she truly was pulling 
most of the cards, so to speak, like she was pulling most of, of the weight of the household on her shoulders. And I had one follow up with her only. And that was last month, I think. And she said things were better, but she was too, it was too early in her opinion to tell whether it was going to last. Basically, she wasn't trusting yet of that. But what I appreciate. But about that, that gets to the point, because if he started being helpful, maybe he was going to do that for the rest of his life. Maybe he wasn't going to do it again after she talked. But the fact that she didn't trust it is because of her beliefs and her reference points. But I absolutely think that, of course, these change. like I'm, I'm not I'm not being a Pollyanna. I'm just talking about this aspect of right. things. I understand that. And I really appreciate that you shared all of that, because as I said, it, it enriches my view on this and how I'm going to approach my patients in the future, because I was approaching your needs are here on the table and they need to know this is what, this was my approach. And I will approach it now differently. Thanks to you. So thank you so much. You taught me something extremely important today. So I'm I'm so glad. And what I'm really excited about is your patients getting their needs met, like communicating this way makes it more likely that their needs will be met because their needs do need to be met. I wouldn't want anything I said to imply otherwise. Right. And I understand that. So I have a lot of questions maybe for follow-up. Okay. (laughs) I'm very excited about what you shared so far. What uh, would you say if some of my listeners uh, were so inspired by what you had to say that they would like to reach out to you or check out your website? Where can they find you? Well, join me to listen to the Intimate Marriage podcast because I'm that those conversations are just more and more of exactly what we're talking about okay. with couples and more teaching. So go ahead and subscribe, leave me a rating rating and review for the Intimate Marriage podcast and then you can go to the intimatemarriagepodcast.com to find everything that I'm doing. I will go and listen to that episode you mentioned, and I'm going to leave a review for sure. Intimatemarriagepodcast.com. Is that how? Intimate Marriage Podcast. Okay. And thank you so much, Dr. Stockwell. I really, really appreciate it. I suspect we might have you back. (laughs) Okay. Well, I really looked forward to this conversation and it didn't disappoint. Thank you so much. You're a wonderful interviewer. And congratulations on completing your first interview with a guest on your beautiful podcast. Thank you so much. And because we are recording about a week and a half before Christmas, I do want to wish you very Merry Christmas, a very peaceful time with your husband and family. Thank you so much to you too.